Oh, we lift our hands to the Lord right now. And give Him praise, Jesus. We love You. We thank You for Your goodness to us, Lord. It's always helpful when you remember to plan out your the process of getting from the drums to the pulpit and have your necessary device with you. A little awkward. You know, that song talks about coming to the altar. And in a, our modern church setting, when we think of altars, we think of just the front of a sanctuary. A few decades ago, going back probably until to the early 1800s, maybe late 1700s, the altars were mourners' benches where in churches they had actual benches across the front that you would come and you would kneel down and you would talk to the Lord and petition the Lord and you would bring your needs to the Lord. But going back to Bible times, altars were any really any place where you could find to talk to God. Of course, there were plenty of times where they would take stones and they would build stones. They would build a physical altar, but an altar was more than just that physical object or physical edifice or thing that you built up, but it was really a place where you could commune with God and where you could talk to God. At the conclusion of my message today, I'm not going to invite you to come to the front because of the social distancing that we are still participating in. But I will invite you to build an altar right where you're sitting, a place where you can commune with God, a place where you can talk to God, a place where you can encounter His presence and His power. And I don't know about you, but I already feel His presence and power in this room right now and a lot of times we we invite people to an altar and the preacher or the pastor or maybe some others will go and pray for them and and lay hands on them we believe in the ministry of laying on of hands it's a biblical ministry and we're not necessarily going to do that unless it's somebody who's sitting with you somebody whose household you are a part of and then you can feel free to do that but We really don't have to lay hands on you because God is going to be where you are. He's going to reach down and touch you and minister and impact your life today. Anybody want to be touched by the presence and power of Jesus Christ today? I want to know Him. I want to have my life changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And... Pentecost Sunday goes back to the book of Acts chapter 2, and I will take a text from Acts 2 here in just a few minutes. But we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. It's on the calendar. It's on secular calendars. It's on most calendars that you look at. And the reason it is there is because of what God did on that first Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to celebrate that today, and I'm going to preach to that end. Next week, I anticipate going back and beginning or retaking up our series on Ephesians. But today, I'm going to preach about 
Pentecost Sunday. I'll take a text in just a few minutes. But have you, uh, you've probably, if you have kids, you've heard your kids ask this question. When you tell them that you're going to do something, they'll ask the question, do you promise? Anybody ever had their children ask that question? Do you promise? When you tell them, well, we're going to try to go uh, out to eat, or we're going to try to do this, and their, their question is, do you promise? And oftentimes, if you say something like, I'm going to try to do it, I, I, my, my answer is, I'm not promising, I'm telling you we're going to try, and hopefully we'll be able to, but it's not a promise. And unfortunately for kids, no matter what you tell them, the younger they are, especially everything you say is a promise to them, and they don't understand that maybe or uh, we'll do it if we can, but they take everything as a promise. And then oftentimes, unfortunately, they are disappointed. And they tell you, when it, when it doesn't happen, they look at you and say, but you promised that you were going to do this. Anybody been the recipient of that where they've looked at you and you promised me you were going to do this? Well, in, in our human interactions, sometimes our hopes and, and our intentions come across as promises and those whom we are promising that we're going to do something they don't always come to pass and they're disappointed and you broke your word but I am thankful that we have a God who never breaks his word that a God when he promises something will always come through on what he has promised Anybody thankful that you can trust God that He is going to do everything that He said He was going to do and that you, you don't have to wonder if He's going to break His promise. He will do what He has said He would do. He is a God of promises. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, God comes down and, and he, 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 see, he talks with Adam and Eve. He confronts their sin. He confronts their disobedience. They've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they weren't supposed to and he confronts that and he puts a curse on the land and he puts a curse on the woman and the man and upon the serpent but with all of that he puts a promise that there is going to come a savior and it's not spelled out unless you understand how it's used later but he says that the seed of the serpent is going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, that Jesus Christ, when he comes, he's going to destroy death, hell, and the grave, and he is going to overcome our enemy, Satan. It is a promise that he makes that he will do exactly what he said he would do. Genesis 9, he makes a promise that after destroying the earth with water, he puts the sign of the rainbow, and he tells, he tells Noah, he says, never again will I destroy the earth and all humanity with water. And I'm putting this rainbow there as a sign of the promise that I'm not going to do that. And while we have floods, and we have local floods or regional floods, we've never had another worldwide flood, he has lived up to his promise. Genesis 12, he promised Abraham that if you would get out of the land that you're in now and you would go to the land that I will show you, I will make of you a great nation. And later he would say, out of your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus Christ is of the seed of Abraham. And because of that, all nations of the earth are blessed through Jesus Christ, who is that seed. And that promise that was made in Genesis 12 and in other chapters in Genesis as it was reaffirmed, God always fulfills 
His promises. Second Chronicles 7.14, he makes another promise. Solomon has come to finish the, the completion of building the temple. And, and when he does, he, he's, he's trying to get this temple dedicated. And he, three times he asks God, he says, God, if we sin, and if we turn our backs on you, and if you judge us for our sin, if you judge us for our, our wickedness, if we repent, will you forgive? If we do all of those things that would cause you to bring judgment, but we then ask you for forgiveness and we turn our back on that wickedness and we turn back to you, he says, will you forgive? In Second Chronicles 7.14 is God's answer to that. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And as we mentioned a little bit ago, we need some healing in our land today. We need God not only to do physical healing, but to heal the hearts and emotions of people. We need God to live up to that promise, and, and He has lived up to it every time that people call on Him. And every time they turn away from their wickedness and repent, He has forgiven. He is a God of promises. So it's no wonder that Jesus, when He comes on the scene in human form, that he makes promises. Just like God in the Old Testament is making promises and living up to those, Jesus also makes promises. And one of the promises that he makes is that he will fill his people with the Holy Spirit. That he is going to pour out his Spirit. He's going to manifest himself and, and allow his Spirit to live inside of people. We're going to be reading here from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. And this is after the death, burial, and resurrection. It's after the ascension. Jesus has now ascended to heaven. He had told His disciples that they were going to need to tarry in Jerusalem until that promise comes. The promise has come at the point where I'm going to pick up reading here. But Acts 2, 37 says this, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their question is, how are we going to be saved because we crucified the Messiah? We've turned our back on God's salvation plan. How are we going to be saved? And Peter's response is this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit ghost verse 39 for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the lord our god shall call that promise that he made peter is now saying that promise is still to you to your children to all who are afar off and so today i'm going to preach on this thought that the promise is yours the promise is yours. So Jesus has made promise of the coming Holy Spirit. And in fact, even before Jesus fully begins his ministry, John the Baptist, further, he makes a promise about what Jesus is going to do. And he, he tells his disciples, and as he's preaching, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
That before Jesus is fully engaged in his ministry and, and before Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, John has already said that Jesus is going to pour out the Holy Spirit. He is going to baptize you. He is going to inundate you. He is going to fill you with his spirit. It's going to fill you with this Holy Spirit. And, and, and there are a number of things that the Holy Spirit does. A number of reasons why we need the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, I preached on that a few weeks ago. One of the things that the Spirit brings is power. Power to, to be a witness. Power to live godly and righteously in our world. Godly to share the gospel. But not only that, it's power to, to do miracles and to see signs and wonders and see God at work in the world. To see people healed. To see people delivered. To see people saved. We get power when we get the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, John 14, is one of the, the biggest kind of a highlights of the Holy Spirit and what is going to come. In John 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be a comforter. Our world is in need of some comfort right now. Whether it's through loss of loved one or, or whether it's through the, the racial issues that we have going in our nation or, or whether it's through loss of job, whatever it is, people need the comfort of the Holy Spirit that only the Holy Spirit will bring. We need that comfort Jesus said it this way in John 14, 16. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus says, I'm leaving this physical body. I'm, 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 going, to, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again, but then I'm going to ascend to heaven. His disciples didn't understand it, but he says, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter, and he will abide with you forever not just 33 years but forever that however long you're alive that the holy spirit will abide with us forever he will be that comfort he will be that help he will be that hope that we have living on the inside of us he says the holy spirit is going to be a teacher he's going to bring everything to your remembrance that i've taught to you john 14 26 but the comforter which is the holy spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. A part of what the Spirit does in our lives is it, it helps us to understand the Word of God. It, it helps us to, to grasp the truths of God's Word. It helps us to live it out. It is our teacher. It is our guide. It is... Uh, the, the Spirit of God is counseling us, as it were, and say, when we get ready to do something we shouldn't do, the Spirit kind of says, that's not a good idea. The Spirit is at work in us, helping us to live like God wants us to live. But it's more than just power, and it's more than just comfort, it's more than just a teacher and a guide, but it is the person and the presence of Jesus living on the inside of us. Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That when we receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in my name. He said, But when we have the Holy Spirit, it is Christ living in us. Romans 8, 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. It is that Spirit of Jesus living on the inside of us. It is God's Spirit living in us. 
Jesus said this when he's getting ready to ascend. He's getting ready to disappear out of their sight. The disciples have been walking with him for three or three and a half years. And he gives them the great commission. And he's getting ready to go. And what does he say? He says, lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. How is he going to be with us? His body's not here. He's disappearing. He's, He's going up into heaven. But he says, this other comforter is coming in my name. He's going to be with you forever. It is the Spirit of Jesus Christ living on the inside. It is God's Spirit. It is His Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. It is the presence and person of Jesus Christ. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive everything that God is. You receive everything that God wants you to have and wants you to be living on the inside of you. It's not just power. and It's not just comfort. It's not just a good teacher but it is God living on the inside of you and me. Jesus not only promised that He would do it, but He fulfills that promise. Acts 1.8, He tells them, and He uses that word, but when the Holy Spirit, that promise that you've been waiting for, when it comes, you're going to get things. I'm getting ready to do that. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, is that fulfillment of the promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is coming. They were all in one accord when the day of Pentecost finally came. That first Pentecost Sunday, when it was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This promise, this three to three and a half years of waiting for the promise of the Spirit, finally shows up in Acts 2. And it shows up with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it shows up with cloven tongues like as a fire that they can see sitting on them. But the most important thing, and the thing we see throughout the rest of Scripture, is that when the Spirit comes, it comes with people speaking in a language that they do not know, speaking in a language they didn't learn, speaking in tongues, as the Scripture says. Something they did not know. Peter says in Acts 2.33, he says that promise that he made, this what you have seen and what you have heard, that is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made. When they began to speak in other tongues, he tells those who are assembled together looking and thinking they're nuts and crazy because of what's going on. He says that is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made of the Holy Spirit that is going to come. But what I'm thankful for, it's not just that God kept His promise. Not just that Jesus, when He promised the Holy Spirit, not just that it was kept and just that He fulfilled it for those people in Acts chapter 2. But Peter says the promise is not just for us. It's not just for these 120. He says, but the promise is for you. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. So the you, of course, that he's talking about in Acts 2.39, that you is the people who are standing there. He's preaching to this multitude of people, and he says the promise is for 
you. It wasn't just for the 120, but it's for you. But he, he takes it a step further. He says, it's not just for you, it's for your children as well. It's for this next generation, not just this current generation who's here, but it's for your children as well. And then if that's not good enough, he takes it one more step and he says, and it's to all who are afar off. That phrase, afar off, it's, it can be taken a couple of different ways and I think both of those are probably in view in the Scripture here. One way that it can be taken is those who are far off, which really means the Gentiles, the people who are far from God. And you see this played out, and I'm not sure that Peter fully understood the meaning behind what he says. But he says, it's not just for the Jews who are here, but it's for those who are far off. But it's not just for those who are scattered around the then known world but it's for those who at any point in any time after that that want to be filled with the Spirit, the promise is for them. And so I would tell you today, the promise is yours. That what Jesus promised and what He fulfilled, it is for you today. Can I get an amen? Anybody thankful that you can have the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life and that you can have Christ living in you? That that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it can live in you and it will raise you from the dead. It will quicken your mortal bodies. And, and one day when the trumpet sounds, if we have the spirit of Jesus living on the inside of us, we will join him in heaven and live with him forever. I don't know about you, but that excites me. And the worse the world gets, the more I want to go and see him. And the more I want to be with him for eternity. Oh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The treasures are laid up for me somewhere beyond the blue. And I don't remember the words, the rest of the words of that song, but that's good enough. You get the point. I'm looking forward to spending eternity with Jesus Christ. And I can only do that if I have taken him up on his promise and have had the infilling of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. That's the requirement. To live forever with Jesus Christ is that I now let His Spirit take residence inside of my heart and life. Jesus continued to fulfill the promise in Acts chapter 8. The Samaritans, they're half Jews. This is first century racism. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And because the Jews hated the Samaritans, then no way is God going to do for the Samaritans what He's done for us until He does it. And then they go, well, maybe He is going to do it for them. Maybe He's not a respecter of persons. Maybe He's not just the God of one ethnicity, but maybe He's the God of all ethnicities. And maybe He wants all people to be saved, regardless of where they are and what their background and, and, and what their nationality. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip comes and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe the message of salvation. They're baptized in the name of Jesus. But the Bible says they still didn't have the Holy Spirit. They believe the gospel. They're baptized in the name of Jesus. But they still don't have the Spirit. And So Peter and John come down from Jerusalem. And the Bible says when they laid hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
these Samaritans, these half-Jews, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. He continues to pour out the promise, and he continues to fulfill the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, now we find Peter, he's preaching to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And maybe God will pour out his Spirit on these Samaritans because they're, they're at least half-Jew. At least, at least, you know, maybe, but no way is he going to pour out his spirit upon people that are not Jewish at all until he does. And Peter, he, he, he finally gets to the point, he's having a vision and he doesn't really understand the vision, this trance that he has until he gets to the house of Cornelius and now he says, oh, well maybe God wants to give you guys what he has given us. And sure enough, in the middle of his preaching, in the middle of his sermon, Cornelius and all of his household and his close friends that he's invited in, they all begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit fills them and comes into their hearts and lives. He is fulfilling the promise that he made, not only to Jews and not only to Samaritans, but to everybody who walks the face of the earth. The promise is yours today. You can have the promise. And, And thankfully, many of you already have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But if you haven't, the promise is yours today. You can have it. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? So the question is, if the promise is for you, or the promise is for me, how is it that we receive the promise? If if He wants to fill us with His presence, and He wants to fill us with His Spirit and His power, how is it that we can receive that promise. The first thing that you have to do is you have to believe that it is for you. You will never get anything from God unless you believe. If God is a healer and you don't believe that He'll heal you, you're not going to be healed. But if you believe anything, Jesus said, is possible to them that believe. And he makes this promise that he wants to live on the inside of you and I. But you have to believe that it is for you. You have to believe that you can have it. You have to believe that you can receive his spirit living on the inside. And I would tell you that every place in the New Testament where someone is filled with the spirit, there is a physical tangible outward sign and that physical tangible outward sign is speaking in a language that you do not know you are speaking in tongues as the spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of you and and I can't tell you exactly why he chose to do it that way but he did Isaiah prophesies that with stammering lips and another tongue will God speak to his people and maybe that's why or or maybe it's because of what James said he said the tongue is a world of fire a world of iniquity and no man can tame it but when we allow God to control us and speak through us that's surrendering to God and that giving him control maybe that's why it is but all I know is that he has done that and we see that in Acts 2 Acts 10 and Acts 19 and the implication of it in Acts chapter 8. So believe 
that it is for you. The second thing is you must ask and you will receive it. If you believe that you can have His Spirit living on the inside, all you have to do is ask in faith. And then thank Him for the promise of His Holy Spirit and then expect God to begin to fill you and to fill your heart and life with His presence. As the musicians come, Jesus promised this Holy Spirit. He fulfilled it in the book of Acts and He continues to fulfill it today. But it's more than just a good promise. It's a great promise. It's, but it's more than just a great promise. The Bible tells us it is the down payment of the earnest of our inheritance. It is God living inside of us and gives us confidence that what He has said about the future will come to pass because He has filled us with His Spirit. But it's more than just a good thing. But I would tell you that it is an essential thing. Early on in Jesus' ministry, Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the 70 ruling religious elders of Israel. And he comes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want people to know that he's talking to Jesus because his fellow Pharisees and members of the Sanhedrin they don't like Jesus because he doesn't fit their mold. He's not doing things like they want him to do. and He's doing miracles and he's doing signs and wonders and he's telling people that they don't need to be listening to what these Pharisees are doing. and They, they don't like Jesus, but, but Nicodemus, he understands that there's something special, there's something different going on here. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are come from God because no one can do the things that you do except God be with him. And Jesus, he didn't have to worry about trains that night. There were no trains in the middle of the closing of his message. But now the horn has passed away from us and we'll be okay. But Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. It's not an option today. In order to get to heaven, you have to be born of the Spirit. And what I would tell you is this, is that there's no distinction. 
some people are born with, of the Spirit and, and some people are baptized with the Spirit and some people are filled with the Spirit. Oh, the reality is that all of those are synonyms. In Acts 1 and Acts 2, Jesus and the, the apostles used three different words for the same thing. Tarry until you're baptized or you're filled with the Spirit. And they were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. And Peter said, we've received the Spirit. And Jesus said, tarry until you receive it. And he quotes John the Baptist and he says, he's going to, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Spirit. So whether it's baptized with the Spirit or received the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit or being born of the Spirit, it's all the same thing. All of that is about the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit coming into your heart and your life. Let's stand together. Jesus would go on to say in John 3, that he, he used an analogy about what it would be like to be filled with the Spirit. He, and he talked about the wind. And in fact, the, the Greek word for wind or spirit or breath and air, they're all the same word. And he says the wind blows where it wants to. You can see the effects of the wind and you can feel the wind. But you can't see the actual wind. You can just see what it does. And you can hear what it's doing. And you can see the results of it. You can feel it on your skin. So I would tell you today, don't just settle for the effects of the Spirit. Don't just settle for feeling His presence and His power in a worship service or in a time of prayer or whatever you, wherever you feel His presence, don't just settle for feeling the effects of it on the outside. or Don't just settle for seeing the effects as God heals people and He brings deliverance to people and He provides. Don't settle for a feeling on the outside, but seek to be filled on the inside. I don't want to know about you, but I want to be refilled with the Spirit today. I want God to, to reassert control in my life. It's not necessarily a one-and-done kind of thing where you experience the Holy Spirit coming on the inside and you just have it one time and that's, that's great. Acts chapter 4, Peter, after they were beaten for performing a miracle, the Bible says that they prayed and were filled again with the Spirit of God. That it should be a continual thing. It should be an ongoing thing. It should be an often time thing as we experience God reasserting that control and reasserting His presence on the inside of us. So here's what I want you to do. As I told you, I'm going to have you just build an altar where you are today can't come to the front we could but we don't need to we don't need to take that risk today of people 
picking up the virus or passing it on. But you can build an altar where you are as you experience His presence and His power. And so I want you to, first of all, I want you to repent. To repent means to to turn from your sin. You tell God that you're sorry for all those things that you've done that that are not like He wants you to, to do or like He wants you to live or wants you to be. It's just a matter of confessing and saying, God, I'm sorry for all the times when I mess up and when I do things that you don't like, when I do things that your word tells me I shouldn't do, or, or maybe it's when I don't do the things that your word tells me I should do. It's not always the negative of doing something bad, but sometimes it's the negative of not doing something good. And after you've spent a moment doing that, believe that God's promise is for you today. That you can experience the infilling of His Spirit. And then open your heart and open your mouth and would you just begin to talk to God and just begin to love Him and tell Him how grateful you are for what He's done. How grateful you are for the cross of Calvary. How grateful you are that He has made a promise that He wants to live inside of us that we don't have to be alone we don't have to go through life alone but we can go through life with his presence and his power living on the inside of us and as you begin to feel the spirit move upon you as you're talking in English your tongue doesn't want to talk in English it doesn't want to you're having a hard time articulating and just yield yourself to God and allow the Spirit to speak through you in other tongues. As they begin to sing, would you just lift your hands where you are and would you begin to ask God to forgive you? To